Well, good morning to one and all here today. I'm really glad to see that so many have come today and uh, to be found in the house of God. And I was just thinking this morning, there's, there's not a better way to start your day. Isn't that a good little rhythm, isn't it? Not a better way to start your day, your week, your month, your year than being in the house of God. It's a great way to start your week. And you're amongst family today and, in the ha- and, and God is in the house. Amen? Can you declare that today? God is in the house. And um, who knows the power of declaration? The Bible says that you shall declare a thing and it shall be established. It's amazing scripture. Two weeks ago, when the region in the state was parched and dry and farmers were offloading their cattle at absolute rock-bottom prices, as some of the prices were down to as far back as the 70s and the 80s, and I was getting sick of watering the lawn with no results. And perhaps you too felt that. Did anybody else feel that? It was just such a dry wind. Whatever water you put on it didn't seem to amount to much. Pastor Trevor Cole out of Claremont said some cattle were being shot uh, because they were unable to get the feed to them. And it was cheaper to do so. But on Sunday the 12th of November, right here in this place, and uh, we declared from a dry and past position, there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Amen. And from a, from a dry and parched position, Elijah said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And that's what we ministered that morning. And you think, well, what, with what audacity can you pray like that, you know? Um, but the reason you are now running around with whippersnippers, lawnmowers, and roundup is because the prayer of faith to a loving God who is true to his word, God said, if my people, are there any if my peoples here this morning? Amen. And because you are people who are God's people, you are walking around, running around with whippersnippers and mowers and roundup. It says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. What a great thing to do. Sounds Christian. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's an awesome scripture. And everybody overuses that term awesome. They have a Macca's burger and they say it was awesome. And I'm thinking, how can you describe plastic like that? And, but you know, uh, so Solomon, uh, God himself, was answering a direct prayer of Solomon's in Second Chronicles 6.39. And you can have a look at that for yourself for the sake of time. So when we declare that God is in the house, believe it, amen. Just believe it, declare it, and it shall be so. Declare that over your house today, isn't that a good declaration over your house doesn't matter how good you feel or don't feel. When you look in the mirror, how great you look or how amazing you look, you can begin to declare over your home, God is in the house. God is sovereign. God is moving. God is redeeming. God is protecting. And God is providing. Amen. That's a good declaration for you. Amen. And so um, David penned in regard to the house of God in Psalm 122. He says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Did you get up this morning and say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a joy. It's an opportunity. Do you know the Lord talks about a lampstand being taken away when people place no value in it? And in the Bible, the lampstand in the book of Revelations reveals to us that is the church. If we don't place a value on the church, on God's people, the Lord can remove our lampstand. It's a frightening scripture. But in Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, that's you and I, to dwell together 
in unity. Verse 3, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. See, good things God imparts to his children. But how do we embark on this great adventure and even called, being called uh, God's people? Did you ever think about that? How did God even enlist us and to be called God's people and being referenced by the Lord God of the universe as my people? Think about that. The Lord God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He says, let there be light, and there it is at 300,000 kilometers a second. The same God who created that thing says, if my people. I'm looking to a whole heap of people who are called by God, my people. Oh, man, oh, just, oh, just put your hand and give yourself a pat on the back. It's awesome to be called my people, amen? My people, says God. The Greek word for the church is the ecclesia. You think, oh, that's a flamboyant word. Well, it is a bit, but it really means just the called out ones. But you and I were called out, not caught out. <laughs> you were called out from all the things that are in the earth today. He called out a special people. He says we're a peculiar people. Amen? A peculiar people. Turn to the person next to you and you say, you are peculiar. You are peculiar. That's what the Word of God says. I see that hand, David, pointing towards me. But God has called out but God calling people out is not something new. That's just not a New Testament thing. In Exodus, God said, Moses, Moses. He's calling him out. What? It was he. Moses was called out. He didn't even know who God was, and yet God called him out. In 1 Samuel, we hear that God says to a little boy, he said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel didn't even know the voice of God. Went to Eli the priest and he says, is that you calling and he says, no, Lord. And after three times, the priest said to him, just respond to that voice and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What a great response. And in the book of Acts, we can hear God say to a man who was persecuting the church, he said, Saul, Saul. And so he was called out, Saul the persecutor, and it became a proclaimer of the gospel in the middle of three verses. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And so the Lord is still calling us out. And he's calling us deeper. The Bible says deep calls unto deep. And when the Lord calls you out, he's calling you into a, a deeper relationship. Who knows when you start a relationship, it's here. And then it gets, and it might even be a little bit superficial, but there's always a deeper level of relationship to be had. Amen? And God uses that word intimacy in a very intimate way, as you can imagine, from among the world. I'd like to go to 1 John and chapter 2, if you would, wouldn't mind. I'd really ask if you bring your, your Bibles with you so you can go through these scriptures with me. And so 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. And here we read the apostle John, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John was speaking to us and trying to cause us, uh, cause us and to save us a whole heap of heartache. He says, don't love that which is perishing. 
That which is going down the great royal porcelain facility. That is the world. Amen. And basically he was saying, escape the wrath that is to come and come into this new dimensional life of being born again. Genesis 12.1, if you wouldn't mind going there. I haven't marked it, but I'll find it soon. Genesis 12.1, and we hear and see a man called out of his present situation, called out of his country, called out of his home. Now the Lord God, the, now, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And you see here that Abram too was called out and God called him forth. And uh, in Genesis 14, 13, we see that the name Abram is mentioned and uh, uh, again. And so then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. And that is the first reference of that term Hebrew in the whole of the Bible. And so there was a law in the Bible called the law of first reference. And it says, therefore, he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. And so Abram is, de is uh, described here as the Hebrew. And so what is the significance of that? The Hebrew word in Hebrew is the word Ivri. The language itself is called Ivrit. In the Hebrew language, there is always normally a three-letter root word which, never, which always impacts the meaning of all those words that are derivatives from it. And the meaning of that root word is avar, which means to cross over. And you see here that Abram was known as the man in that Middle Eastern tradition as a man who crossed over. And he crossed over from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of, of Haran and then came down into the land of Israel. And so he was known as the man who crossed over. You and I in our Christian life are known in the realm of the spirit as people who crossed over from one spiritual dimension to another. We crossed over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Amen. You and I were called out of a realm of darkness and even Jesus himself in his earthly ministry, it says, out of Egypt, beginning, meaning of the things of the earth, the things of the world, the dust of the earth and the things of the flesh, out of Egypt, he says, I called my son. That's what God says. Out of Egypt, I called my son. You and I too were called out of Egypt, as Moses was called out of Egypt. And his name, Moses' name means to be drawn out. And he himself was abandoned to the river Nile. Amen. Talk about have reproach or rejection, into, uh, rejection issues. Abra uh, Moses could have had rejection issues, amen? How many people these days have rejection issues? They're just everywhere. But here's Moses, and even as a child, placed in a basket and put on the river Nile. And as he was drawn out, so too he led a people and drew them out of Egypt, amen? It's, great. it's a great thing. And he went into exile. Abraham was identified as the man who crossed over from Ur of the Chaldeans, crossed over the Euphrates, and crossed over the desert via the fertile crescent into the land that God would show him. And he didn't know all the steps, as uh, Priscilla gave a fantastic. Who enjoyed last week's message? Wasn't that a brilliant? Give uh, Priscilla just a, an appreciation there. That was an awesome message. Eh? 
It was such a presence of God, such a presence of God that touched the people's hearts. And God brought Abram into a new land. He brought him into a promised land and to become a new people group, a separated people with ultimately a new citizenship and a new identity. Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, he says, for our citizenship, a lot of people talk about their citizenship, Australia or this or this or whatever, and, uh, but he says, our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, our identity is hid with Christ in God. Where is your identity today? Is it in Christ or is it in some other thing? As grand as it may sound, and when Paul addresses always these letters to Philippians and Colossians and Galatians, he talks to them about being in Christ before he mentions Galatia or Philippi, Philippi or Colossae. I mean, their identity, their position, their citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. I mean, your citizenship is in Christ. Your claim to fame is in Christ. So we are sojourners without a country, really, and without a home. And you and I, when, we, when God called us, when God called you, he called you out of an earthly situation and into a spiritual realm, amen? An eternal situation. Our earthly situation is, is, uh, is fading away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so, and we're embarking, embarking on a journey without a definitive map, Amen? but a direction and a holy unction that we received, and it was go. And the disciples, they received a similar direction when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Did they know how they were going to do it? Did they know all the details? Would not have a clue. They didn't even know at that stage how big the earth was. They didn't even know how big it was. But the Lord says, go. And they just went, mindless obedience. No, no. <laughs> It's just a heart led by God or encouraged by the Holy Ghost. He doesn't, the Lord doesn't leave you without resources. All the resources of heaven are made available to you as you tap into them. And you can tap into the resources of heaven with a teaspoon. Sure you can. You can tap into the resources of heaven with a dessert spoon, perhaps a bucket. Oh, I think you should tap into the resources of heaven with the biggest dozer you can find. Why not? When all provision is made for you, why go to heaven with a teaspoon in hand? I mean, why would you do it? Expect great things because God is an awesome and a mighty God. That word awesome is so deflated in value these days, we forget what awesome means. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's true, isn't it? And so this new creation man, when he's called out, you and I are now really in exiles on the earth. Our citizenship is no longer here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're living in a realm that we should not be too attached to. Don't be attached to so much to the things of the earth because they are quickly fading and perishing. And so here we see you and I are separated from the dust of the earth from which we were made. That's what Adam means. And we are no longer connected to it. But I see a struggle that we all have. And the struggle is this, when we cling to the earth, which is fading before our very eyes. We're clinging to things desperately. Peter, when he was in the boat, got out of the boat and walked on water. A precarious position, wasn't he? But he stepped from the natural into the spiritual. 
And he only found it difficult when he took his eyes off Jesus and looked again to the waves. Amen? And so, but many of us are walking the spiritual life, so-called, with one foot in the boat and one foot out of the boat. Amen? And it's not a good place to be. We are called to be a spiritual being. And so this new creation man, you and I, if you don't feel so comfortable with things on the earth at this time, the reason is simple, is because we are in exile, sojourners, traveling through, amen, to the promised land. Don't hold so desperately to the things of the earth because they are passing away. Use them to your advantage. Fulfill the Great Commission. Build the kingdom of God wherever God has placed you to be. But hang on to things, but not so tightly, because the earth is slipping away. And a lot of people would say, do not love the world. Uh, Let's go to 1 John 2.15. I'll quickly go there now. Find it in just a moment. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I'll go over it again. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. I believe it's a major scripture for us to hang on to, and we'll be able to let go of the things of the earth a lot easier. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen? Good scriptures, good solid scriptures. A man of the earth, a backslidden man will say, the heavenly man is of no earthly good. Who's ever heard that? So heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Who's ever heard that? It's a, and you'll hear it from somebody who's backslidden from God. They're talking about somebody who's hooked in with God. But to say that you are of no earthly good when you're totally heavenly minded And nothing could be further from the truth. A life filled with all the fullness of God. That's you and I. Is your life filled with all the fullness of God through the person of Jesus Christ, filled with all the empowering spirit of God, is a person who makes his community a beneficiary of all that is good. You and I filled with the spirit of God, filled with all the fullness of God, filling all heaven's potential in us, are the greatest beneficiary to the community in which we live. Amen? You are a blessing. Turn to the person next to you and just say, you are a blessing to this community. You're a blessing to this family. You're a blessing to Australia. Amen? Filled with all the fullness of God, you bring everything that is good to our communities. I'm looking at a whole heap of people who are game changers here for this community. You change the atmosphere and bring the glory of God. As the air is the atmosphere of the earth, so the glory is the atmosphere of heaven. But in the spiritual realm, you bring the glory of God into your earthly situation. Amen? And lives can be transformed. Situations can be changed and are changed. Crossing over from one life to the next, really, is the whole of the gospel message. And you'll see those pictures of crossing over right throughout Scripture. Crossing over from one side of the river to the other, from one side of the land to the other, from one uh, realm to the other, from darkness to light is all about crossing over. And you're undaunted in exile because we are living in exile when we leave. We leave our homes. We leave our countries. We leave our families. Many people, when God wants to separate us, separates from the things we knew and loved. And, separate, and we are separated, not just separated from the earth, but separated unto God. And you should say that to yourself, I am separated unto God. 
I live for the glory of God. That's my existence with whatever God has called us to do. So the man Moses, brought up in the royal courts of Pharaoh, but he was abandoned in the Nile in a basket. And then he had to bring this, then he had to leave Egypt from which he was, he was a, a prince of Egypt. The Bible, uh, the book Josephus gives a, a history that is not covered in the Bible, speaks of Moses as a great commander in chief. One of Egypt's greatest commanders in chief is described in the book of Josephus. And so Moses left a whole heap of stuff to follow God, amen? Because he he responded to the call, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you tread is holy ground. And so so straight away there is a removing from the dust of the earth. The sandals speaks of the dust and separated unto God into that heavenly realm. And so that 180 degree turnaround we've spoken about recently, turning your back on the things of the earth and walking now towards that heavenly realm. You and I have to turn our backs often of some things that we really, really loved, things that we really, really cherished in a former life. We had a whole heap of friends, and it's not like you turn your back on your friends, but you're turning back on lifestyles that you can no longer work with. They're no longer considered holy because you have a higher and holier calling, amen? You're walking the highway of holiness and it doesn't include a whole heap of stuff that we once used to live. I lived a life that now I have walked away from and I'm glad to do so. But I must say that I did lose a few friends in the process. That's called life and it's a tough gig, but that's just the way it is. John the Baptist put it pretty straight. He didn't mess with words, John. And that 400-year silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see him in the movies with the booming voice in the wilderness, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's how the 400-year silence of the prophets was broken by John the Baptist's voice in the wilderness. And the highest message of eternal life was preached from the lowest place on earth, the Jordan River. And after that, he declared, the next day, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in verse 36 and 37, the disciples of John left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. And Jesus said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the reason is simple. When you, you will be, what you behold, you will become. We are called to become like Jesus. And when we awake and when we arise, we shall be like him, the Bible says. So behold. We walk away, we turn 180 degree in this thing called repentance, almost a swear word in the Bible today or in the church. But your salvation starts with this act of repentance. And it's a beautiful thing to do. And it is actually a gift of God. The gift of repentance is given to each and every one of us. It's a gift. It doesn't automatically come. It is a gift. And so we see that Abraham was called out and crossed over. A new identity. The Hebrew, his identity was in the bloke who was the the man who crossed over. And so Joseph also sent into exile, crossed over into Egypt. And then later, his bones were carried back into the promised land. Amen. None of his brothers entered into the promised land. But Joseph, the man sold into slavery, sold into Egypt. Then when when the exodus came, Moses and all the crew took Joseph's bones and he fulfilled the promise and was buried in the promised land. It's a good story, isn't it? He crossed over. Moses in exile, Paul in exile. 
We see that Paul on the road to Damascus, and immediately he began preaching the Christ. That's true, isn't it? And then he immediately, because he knew that there was a bounty on his head from the religious authorities, he went for three to three and a half years into Arabia, where Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb was. Amen? And so he went into a wilderness, and the Lord separated Paul to do a tremendous work in his life. And I want to say, if the Lord has ex- he's exiled you, you feel exiled, you thro- feel thrown out, you feel uncomfortable, you're leaving things that you once knew, you once loved, family even, and things like that, your close associations. I want to say spiritual division in a home is one of the most difficult things to navigate in your life, and yet we are called to do it. Yet we are called to do it. The gospel accounts give time and time examples of it. And in the end, it says, who is my brother and who is my mother and who is my sister, Jesus said. And it says, who's those who do the will of God and obey it. Isn't that amazing? And so this family here, this probably can be, in, in a lot of instances, closer to your own flesh and blood. And that's according to the Word of God. I've been in the middle of a, a, an amazing book uh, regarding uh, William Tyndale. Fantastic. Who knows William Tyndale or a bit of church history? It's in the days of the Reformation, just after uh, uh, Martin Luther in 1517 nailed those 95 theses on the, on the castle door in Germany. And... Uh, but in William Tyndale, not many years later, in about uh, 1523, so it's about only about half a dozen years later, and he, wanted, he, was a, he was an amazing linguist. He had an amazing intellect. He knew Latin, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew. Very, very astute, amazing intellect. A tremendous man of God, and he had an absolute heart from God. And uh, he was banished from England, although it was self-imposed, to preserve his own life. And it was a monstrous, you could describe it as a monstrous injustice because his only crime was to translate the Latin Bible into plain speaking, good old plowman English for the, for the average bloke, the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. He said, it's not right that only the priests, and in fact, even the priests themselves, most of them couldn't speak Latin anyway. Amazing, isn't it? Most of the priests in those days, so nobody, and you could say that the medieval Age was marked by the darkness of the Word of God. And that's why it was really the Dark Ages. There was no illumination of the Word of God to the masses. And very, very few people, very few intellects had available to them the Word of God. And so here comes William Tyndale, a very young man, very astute. He was an absolute brilliant man. God had gifted him with all the gifts necessary, but he was a very, very humble man at the same time. And he wanted to print the the Bible in English, make it available to every single person, every boy, every girl. His desire was to see the bloke pushing the plough behind the oxen have a copy of the Word of God. And he was brought up in Gloucestershire, and the language of Gloucestershire, so near to Wales, came out through all those scriptures. When you read your 1611 King James Bible, which has affected more, more of the English language, most of the work that you read in it is actually William Tyndale's. And, uh, and when he eventually printed his manuscripts, his name wasn't even on it. Beautiful, isn't it? The tremendous humility of one of the greatest and world's intellects. But he could not live in his own country. And he lived in exile. He was without a country, he was without a king, and he was without a home. 
and yet the call of God was on him. Sometimes you think just because you're uncomfortable, you're not comfortable with this and that, you feel separated, you feel lonely, you think God is not with you. But it could be quite the contrary. It means that God is doing a thorough work in your life. I have found my most lonely times, and many other people would testify the same, that the Spirit of God was most near to me when I was most separated from the things of the earth, separated from family and friends and everything else that I loved. His own life reflecting the lives of the great saints of old. And, he's, and here he is translating the words of Paul when he knows what it is to be abound and know what it is to be flourishing and knows what it is to be destitute. He knows what it is to be imprisoned. He knows what it is to be hard-pressed on every side. He knows what it is to be almost hunted like a dog. He knew all those things. And what perfect man knew that than William Tyndale himself? He was eventually betrayed. Just like Jesus, he was betrayed. Somebody misrepresented him and dragged him and eventually dragged back to England about 18 months later after he was caught. And, uh, but his manuscripts and the Bible translated into the common man's English, you and I today have got him to thank. We don't know the amount of blood that has been spilled for us to have a Bible that we don't even bring to church, for us to have a Bible that sits at home gathering dust, but it's been paid for with the blood of the martyrs. Tens of thousands of people have paid for the Bible that you have in your hand. I mean, it's, if you knew the cost of what it, what it is to have the Word of God in you, we would look at it so differently. His last prayer and words that flow from his lips while the chain around his neck strangled him to death were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. They were his very last words. That king at that time was a Henry VIII, reasonable man I hear. <laughs> Henry VIII. And he made a decree over all of England that the Bible of Miles Coverdale, who was his closest, William Tyndale was one of his closest friends. So uh, all his work can be found in Tyndale's Bible. It was to be used in every parish of the land. And a copy of that Bible was placed in every church throughout the land. And it paved the way uh, for uh, the King James Bible in 1611 even to be put together with scholars from all over England and its realm and to be distributed throughout the land. Nothing more has affected the English language. In fact, the Bible has given you and I the English language. Amen? And so too is... Martin Luther, in 1517, and when, he, when, the, when the Reformation began to take on a whole new form, and uh, we see that Martin Luther translated the, uh, the ancient scripts into a common Germanic language, and he gave the German people their language. Amen? And so, prior to Martin Luther, you went to this town and there was a language. You went to that town and there was a language. There we enter the next time there was a dialect and this and that. There was literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of languages that were brought under the umbrella of, the, of uh, Martin Luther's translation of the Bible and gave those people. And many nations of the earth can attribute their common language, 
the vernacular speech of the common person for all to understand. And uh, most of our translations these days are a translation that seeks to explain the Bible. But in these original translations, they were, just, they were a translation of the original scriptures. In other words, I see these modern translations as dumbing it down. When even the original King James Version was designed for the boy at the plough, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Other, other uh, references in our modern time before I close, Richard, Richard Wormbrand, some people may know his name, and he was the, the, the director of a, of a Christian organisation called Voice of the Martyrs. He spent, I think he spent about 10 or 11 or 12 years behind the Iron Curtain in a cell. And there he was tortured and everything else that goes on in, in communist countries. Amen? Terrible things, but out of that exile, out of that imprisonment, out of that hard, pressurised thing came in a ministry that ministers to the world to this very day. Watchman Nee, he also in a past generation, a Chinese man, was imprisoned for decades in a Chinese prison. And from behind the bars in those Chinese prisons, he wrote, Love Not the World. Oh, magnificent books. These books will minister to your spirit. For us who have so much, we look at these people who had absolutely nothing except the breath in their lungs and not much more. He wrote Song of Songs. Beautiful song. A beautiful, uh, we know, we talked about that some just only a month ago, which is called The Ultimate Song. And he wrote a beautiful book called A Table in the Wilderness. God has prepared a table for me in the midst of the wilderness. And he wrote all those beautiful, amazing books behind the walls and bars of a terrible prison. We shall, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or sword? When these people spoke about it and wrote about it, they knew what they were talking about. And uh, Paul writes, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And you and I have been given a sight that is far above your physical sight. Our physical sight can be impaired. It's pristine when we're young. Some people don't even have pristine vision when they're young. But we know that our vision can get clouded. We get short vision. We get long vision. We get macular degeneration. We get all this sort of stuff. Amen. And yet we say, oh, I've got to see it to believe it. But I want to say that there is a vision that comes by faith, which is more accurate, it's more deep, and it's more profound, and it's more something that is true. Sight comes by another method to the believer, the man and the woman of faith, and it is a more deeper and reliable sense. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And you and I here today may not understand everything that is going on. And sometimes God will bring you uh, the seasons in your life and he will separate you, separate you from the things of the earth, but be separated unto God. Watchman Nee, and also uh, the voice of the martyrs, Richard Wormbrand. Richard, Richard Wormbrand says his most intimate relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was most intense when he was behind bars and almost bleeding to death. Amen bruised, battered and bruised beyond recognition. His feet smashed up like they were clubs of meat. And yet the intimacy and presence of God 
was there for you. I pray that you stand to your feet now. Jesus' own words can set you on a journey as they did to a religious man named Nicodemus some 2,000 years ago. Who, and uh, he came to Jesus by night. And there are some here today and even those who are listening online. You may be on the beach, you may be at the gym, you may be shopping, listening to the podcast. And I want to say that you may be in darkness. But I want to say also that through Jesus you can be brought into the light. And Nicodemus, I believe, was brought from the darkness because he came to Jesus by night. But the light of God's word was made real to him that day. There is a new life and there is an eternal destiny that God has made provision for you. And we all enter that new life when we repent, believe and receive. I'm going to finish up with this one verse in the Bible. And in John 3.3, Jesus went on to say, to Nicodemus. He says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It will bring you into an exile out of the earthly system, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, if there's anybody here who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, to become a citizen, not of the earth, but of heaven. And yes, we lose our citizenship of the earth, but we regain and attain an, an eternal citizenship with Jesus Christ, that we would be seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1.17, and Paul says, and he prays for these people, and he says, as I pray for you, each and every one of you today, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In reflection on that word, we live by uh, faith and not by sight. He's praise. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, reveal to us, Father, today. I pray, Lord, there comes a penny drop moment for many people here today. Bring understanding, Lord God, to what it is to be separated unto yourself. And that when we feel, Lord, uncomfortable in earthly situations, it is a perfectly normal thing for you have called us to a higher calling, a higher citizenship. And you have called us, Lord, to, an, to a heavenly Jerusalem, Father. I thank you, Lord, for this word. I pray that the Spirit of God rest upon it. Reveal it, Lord, to the hearts, Lord, of these people today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We've got a worship song. Thank you.
Yeah. 